1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Curzon on Film podcast. This week we'll be discussing Joe Stevenson's documentary McKellen, playing the part, and we'll be hearing from our special guest and the subject of the documentary himself, Sir Ian McKellen. I'm Sam Howlett and joining me this week are regular contributor Irena Musumeci. Hello. Hello. And making her pod debut, we are joined by producer, curator, student of theatre and performance and knower of all things Shakespeare... Rowan Rutter.
2: Hello, that's very generous. Thank you, Sam. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome.
1: Uh, So before we discuss the film, as always, we ask you to let us know what you think about the films we talk about on the show. So I have a few Twitter reviews of Michael Pearce's Beast to read out. At Born to Pootle says, Beast, if you want moody and dark, it's a feast helped by impeccable casting of leads. Loads of people stayed after the credits had played to bask in the atmosphere of the film at Ang Martin says it's wonderful Jesse Buckley's phenomenal art direction gorgeous and saw this in a weekend in a tiny rural cinema in France. Sounds brilliant. And then at Lydia Palmese says I'll be flabbergasted if this isn't my film of the year. It's likely to be one of my all time favourites. I loved it so much that I came and bought a ticket for the very next showing which is a personal record. So high praise indeed for Beast. And if you are interested, we did our show on Beast a few weeks ago now where we spoke to the writer and director Michael Pearce. And as always, you can have your review read out on future podcasts on Twitter or by emailing us on podcast at curzon.com.
3: All podcast reviews are required to have internal rhyme. <laughs> like yeah. Beast is a feast. <laughs> that that was great. is great. Yeah, it's excellent. Yeah, I didn't realise that until I read it out as well. A fantastic delivery. I think <laughs> Ian McKellen would be proud of you, Sam.
1: <laughs> well, before we get into our film of the week, then, let's just talk about how we first encountered uh, Sir Ian McKellen.
2: Yeah, I think probably for me, um, the first time I encountered him was was on film, um, playing Iago in the Trevor Nunn, Othello. Mm-hmm. Um, on, on on film as a child sort of sitting at my mother's knee um and then it's just a voice that stays with you isn't it and you mm. and and it and it sort of peoples so much film and so much theater and and um, increasingly television as well um, that it sort of becomes a soundtrack I yeah. think um so I don't think there's any one moment that would um, would particularly stick in the memory although I did um, I do remember being in the green room at Westwich Playhouse, which I think must have been in 1998, which he refers to in the, in the film when he was in Leeds working. Um, and we had a very serious conversation at the chocolate machine about how the double-decker was the king of all chocolate bars. And um, I'm not a huge proponent of chocolate bars myself, but going forward in my life, if there's, if there's a choice to be made, it's always a double-decker.
3: Endorsed by Gandalf. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Excellent. The king of chocolate bars. Here,
3: well, I first came across Ian McKellen in a book um, when I was a, a very young Shakespeare fanatic in Italy. Mm-hmm. I was given this beautiful book called Shakespeare in Performance, which had an illustrated history of all different, um, all sorts of different canonical performances, I would say, of uh, Shakespeare in, in, on the British uh, stage. And uh, there was a picture of Ian McKellen there in Trevor Nunn's unnameable play, which (laughs) we shall not refer to. And uh, his face was so captivating that I just, it kind of stuck with me. And um, the fact that his eyes looked so hollow and Mm. yet so magnetic and were communicating so much. Um, And in, in... I think about three or four years later since getting that book, uh, the film of Richard III came out Mm. and then I recognised the same actor. And it was really that moment in the opening scene when he's giving the opening speech of the play and he turns around and says, I can smile and murder whilst I smile. And I thought, okay, he's the greatest. This is fantastic. (laughs) Um, And then I got, I became very interested in his work uh, from another book, which was a book about... um, it was written by a psychiatrist mm-hmm. who had helped bring uh, some Shakespeare productions to Broadmoor. And uh, Broadmoor being the criminal mm. um, psychiatric hospital in, in the UK, where sort of fairly famous, infamous, yeah. rather, serial killers and, and rapists and murderers of various different kinds and ilks uh, were inmates. And, um The RSC brought a production of Hamlet, in which Mark Rylance played Hamlet, and uh, a production of King Lear from the National Theatre, in which Ian McKellen played, I think, Kent. And he wrote the introduction to this book, uh, talking about the reasons why they wanted Mm. to go to Broadmoor and tap into sort of communicating Shakespeare with people who had had experiences like the ones you see in the play, people who've killed Um, and who have done horrifying things in King Lear, you know, there's eye gouging, there's rape, and murder, war, death of all sorts. Um, And it was just incredibly compassionate and very interesting. And uh, I read this shortly after seeing Richard III, so I wrote him a letter. Uh, He, at the time, maintained a website, uh, which was quite, you know, accessible. There was a forum there and Mm -hmm. he responded to people and I wrote him a letter. Uh, saying how interesting I found this experience in Broadmoor. And he wrote back saying, Oh yes, it was a, you know an incredible part of his career and he was still he would love to do some more work like this and sort of was very candid about it and really brilliant. I didn't expect to get a letter. Yeah. I was I was fourteen I think and uh, he sent back an autographed picture from Rich III, mm. which was up on my bedroom wall and uh I was bit starstruck I think yeah. at that time. amazing.
1: Do you still have the photo? Yes, Great. I do. Yeah. Um, I'm very much more from the kind of film angle of Ian McKellen. I remember going to see Lord of the Rings when I was however old, when that first came out, and then X-Men. So I'm very much, yeah, it's quite interesting that we've got sort of three very different kind of perspectives to him. Um, Yeah, so I'm proper, like, blockbuster Ian McKellen, I guess. (laughs) But I have since discovered the Shakespeare Ian McKellen, the theatre Ian McKellen, Um, and then um, you're more sort of quote-unquote prestige films, Ian McKenna, like Richard III, like Mm. Gods and Monsters. Oh, yeah. He's definitely walked many different shoes, I believe, in his life. It's interesting,
3: sorry, how he straddles all these different fandoms, because I think largely they don't intersect. But then some people really find actors like him a gateway into various different things. Like For me, I was already hooked on Shakespeare, and suddenly I discovered film, and I got into that mm-hmm. but for the vast majority of people i guess it's the film and then yeah. you discover the stage so it's fantastic to encounter a performance like this and it, yeah. it's rare it's rare to have actors who can straddle the two worlds Absolutely. so effectively
2: yeah. i think what's interesting about what you said is that you use the word blockbuster in relation yeah. to film and as you go back um and look at his theatre career mm. you realize that so many of his performances in the theatre were also blockbuster performances and uh, you know I was looking at his sort of catalogue of roles and you have Macbeth you have Hamlet we're not in a theatre I can say it um (laughs) you have King Lear you have I mean but also you have you have roles that aren't sort of the sexy and well-known ones like with the second and Mm. King John and then Amadeus which of course he was um you know, he won he won awards for and, and and then Chekhov and and these these enormous roles which he just sort of takes in his stride. And I think that's the real, the, the measure of the man.
1: Absolutely. Well, speaking of the man, uh, it's time to hear from him. So we're talking about McKellen playing the part, which is a feature length documentary about the life and work of Sir Ian McKellen. Uh, so we have access to private photo albums, a wealth of never before seen archive material, We're showing diaries here when he was younger, unseen behind the scenes footage of theatre shows and films. It covers everything from his upbringing to uh, becoming a theatre star, to when he came out and became a leader in the gay rights movement, to his film stardom, everything from Magneto to Gandalf and his personal thoughts, everything along the way from acting to old age and even death. I had the distinct pleasure of speaking to Sir Ian McKellen a few weeks ago in London. Enjoy. Okay, so we are delighted to be joined on the Curzon Film Podcast by Sir Ian McKellen. Thank you very much for joining us.
4: Thank you, Sam. Nice to be here.
1: So we're here to talk about Ian McKellen playing the part, Oh, course. dear, are we? It must be.
4: <laughs> it's very difficult talking about a film which is all about oneself, you know. Well, I was going to ask about that, I'd, I'd rather say I'm here to um, recommend a film by Joe Stevenson, who's the yes, director, exactly. and asked me all the questions, and it's <laughs> sort of through his inquiries
1: that yeah. uh, you filter me. So... You say in the opening, um, one of the opening lines is it's very difficult to be yourself. Hmm. But this is a film all about being, you being yourself. I mean, I how was the, the interview between you guys?
4: That is the puzzle, you see. Um, if you're having your photograph taken, under any circumstances, yeah. whether you've gone into a studio, yeah. uh, or with, you know you've just got your degree and you've got your mortarboard on and yeah. your gown and, and your scroll, or, or, or whether it's just a snap, a, yeah. a selfie... What do you do? I mean, how do you arrange your hair? Do you smile? I mean, there are people all say cheese, smile for yeah. the camera. Why? Why are you? Being yourself is a very difficult thing yeah. to be, uh, except one is oneself all the time yeah. or a different aspect of Absolutely, oneself. Yeah. And so the, this film rather explores that uh, yeah. problem. Um, but I, I can guarantee, having seen the film, that the, the person you see there is is me. <laughs> uh, it, it's. He, he, he sounds and looks like, like me, and he, and he speaks and thinks like me, so I, I hope it's a little bit like meeting me for the first yeah. time, and uh, me being a bit okay. indiscreet about a few things.
1: So what were, your, um, what were your first thoughts when when you were approached about this documentary? Was there a sense of like, were you flattered that someone wanted to make a film entirely about you, or were you a bit nervous about all of that information being out there?
4: Uh, I think probably I said to um, Joe that this film will never be seen, will it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just an exercise we're doing to see whether it's possible. I'd, I'd seen his first feature film, Chicken, which mm. uh, uh, I, I thought was uh, quite remarkable and, and, and very entertaining and funny and moving and everything you would like a film to be. But um, So I was confident that he would... Uh, making his first documentary to do something um, original and so it proved i I had no idea when we were making the film and no idea until the very moment i saw it that that uh, other people would be involved and and some of my best friends play uh real characters that i mention and talk about my life uh, they don 't look like the real people, but they, 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 they embody them and yeah. uh, so you get a sense that I do belong to a community, and i 'm mm. not just uh, on my own okay. uh, spouting into the wind no.
1: <laughs> and there is a lot of uh, a lot of archive footage in the film i'd say it 's like largely mm. comprised of this archive footage yeah and there 's one moment where um you talk about how when you looked back at yourself in one of your early TV appearances, you say, I was not impressed at all. Oh, no. Are you, are you quite critical of yourself sometimes when you look back at a certain um, pieces of work?
4: Well, I relate it again to being photographed. If you look yeah. at old photographs of yourself, yeah. you say, which one is me? <laughs> oh my God, what am I, what was, what was I thinking? Yeah. What am I wearing? What's that funny hair I used to have, you know? And it's a bit like that, but multiplied yeah. by a hundred. I spend my life pretending to be somebody else. Mm. That's relatively easy. We can plan it all out, but yeah. with, with the costume designer and the makeup designer and the director and the lighting man, together we create something. Uh, uh, oh. But here I am uh, sort of on, on my own, and um, I've lost track of the question now. Uh, uh, it was about
1: um, if you're self-critical when you see oh, yes, really, performance. Yes, yeah.
4: yeah. so, so seeing seeing a film yeah. is a hundred times worse than just looking at a still photograph of yeah. yourself in, in a photograph album. Yeah. Um, and of course you would do it differently yeah. now. But of course there's no point in saying that because you're too old to, 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 to go yeah. back. And if, if I know anything about my career, it is that I've got better as an actor right. as time has gone by. So... Of course, if I see myself in an early film, oh, do I, do, I cringe. <laughs> mm. I, I'm not the only actor to say this. No, many actors it, yeah. won't even see their own yeah. work. Well, I I, I, uh, I, I I see each of my films at least once. Yeah, of course,
1: yeah. Mm. Okay. Mm. Um, so how long was the actual interview between you and the director?
4: I think it it's spread itself over five days. Well, okay. Many, many hours. Yeah. So this is a cut-down version yeah. of the of the highlights. <laughs> uh, Joe has, has very kindly cut out the grumpy moments when I when I said, "What the hell are we doing? Stop it!" You know, oh, yeah. I'll need a cup of tea or something stronger. So, um, but I suppose what happens over that length of time is that you do relax and you get off guard and and uh, start speaking as far as possible mm. as yourself and. Uh, there's an in- intimacy and uh, relaxation which uh,
1: yeah. is appropriate
4: to this sort of exercise. You've,
1: I heard an interview a few years ago where you said you were considering writing a memoir. Yes. Would you say maybe that this film could act as your, your memoir? Well, perceptive of you because it was just before this right.
4: that, that I decided not to write okay. my uh, yeah. autobiography. I'd been asked to and I'd agreed to. Yeah. I had a huge advance ready to slip <laughs> into the bank account and. Uh, as I started uh, imagining what the book would be like, the the problem for me was that I couldn't work out who I was talking to, mm. who I was writing it for. Right? Was it was it the the Gandalf fans yeah. or the people who like me um, like Shakespeare? Yeah. Or the Northerners, <laughs> or the gay people? Yeah. Who, who who am I talking to? I don't know. You can see the problem if I put RSC, anyone who goes to the theatre lot knows that's the Royal Shakespeare yeah. Company, but some people won't know that, yeah. and some people won't know who Shakespeare is or what it means yeah. to be royal or what in what sense right. is it a company. So do you, uh, I thought in the end I'd be writing a, a dictionary <laughs> uh, rather than a, a biography. And telling stories about oneself to some people is appropriate, and telling the same story to somebody else yeah. would be, so... I just found it too difficult. And then I found it upsetting in an unhelpful way to go back not to my birth but to my conception and imagining, trying to, what my young parents were like just before the Second World War. What were they doing having a baby? Was this a world to bring a child into? Were they aware of that? And what were their feelings about it? And they're both dead. I can't ask them. And I can't I can't fictionalise it, I, and yet it was something I wanted to think about, and in the end, it, it, it was all too difficult for me, and, and uh, it was just at that point yeah. that Joe said, uh, why don't you talk about yourself for a, a yeah, few hours, perfect. and we'll, we'll, we'll put together the story, yeah. and I thought, right, to filter it through somebody else's questions, someone else's point of view slightly, it would be the best way to do it. Yeah, yeah so I think it is a, a, yeah. it's, a sort, it's the closest I'm going to get to okay. a memoir.
1: Um, so there's a point in the film where we look at, um, when you wrote and produced Richard the third. Yeah. And it struck me as interesting that you've never, you have never written or produced a film again after that. Is there, is there a, was there a reason? Did you think I'm never doing that again or was there like attempts to do it or do you think you still could do it?
4: I felt I could do it in that case because I'd been played Richard the third on stage yeah. for the national theater. Uh, in the UK and abroad, yeah. uh, I knew it very well. I, it, I'd had, I was a party to the production, the, the treatment of, of, of the play by the director and designer. Uh, and uh, the fund was imagining what was cinematic about our approach and whether it c- could work on the big screen. And so I wrote the screenplay yeah. and then it was on my own because the director Richard Eyre was busy running the National Theatre and right. couldn't have any more to do with it. So then I was suddenly finding myself as a producer having to go around Hollywood and, and, and raise yeah. funds and enthusiasm and that took me two years. And then uh, asking friends like uh, Maggie Smith and uh, Jim Broadbent mm. and subsequently Robert Downey Jr. and yeah. Annette Benning to, to be involved for very little money. And although I'm very proud of the film and it goes on being looking good I think. Yeah. Uh, the BFI recently put out a a cleaned up version of it and sent it around the world and and, uh, audiences responded positively, but, oh my God, do it again? No, no, (laughs) No, thank you. I'm I'm not cut out to be a director, a producer. And I learned earlier on in my life that I wasn't cut out to be a director. I did a little bit of it and did some plays in London. Yeah. No, my talent is, and my experience is and my expertise is uh acting. Yeah. Whether it's for the screen or, or, or on stage and uh yeah. The rest I'm very interested in.
1: Yeah. But
4: uh, no. Kay. No more.
1: There's a really uh, there's an interesting moment where we see some behind the scenes footage of um Return of the King where um you ask Peter Jackson something along the lines of, why is my character doing this? Or uh, what does this have to do with the story? And he says, oh, don't worry about it. Like, it's fine. I know, I, know, I know what I'm doing. Kind uh, of yes, thing. he knows what he's doing. Yes. And I was just wondering, do you think it's particularly difficult for a theatre actor to then enter a film set where you perhaps have less control over your character?
4: Yes, that is the crucial difference. Yeah. Uh, uh,
1: uh, in the theatre, after you've rehearsed it and prepared it with yeah. the director,
4: he or she goes away. Yeah. They might drop in, but on the whole, He's, they're replaced by the audience. Yeah. Now you're doing it for them, and you're doing it night after night, and you're discovering still, yeah, how to do it. So you're you're uh, if you're working hard, the last time you play the part will be different, and let's hope better than the first time. Theat- uh, cinema, mm. you're doing this scene just once yeah. today, in a, in a variety of ways: close-ups, long shots, mid shots. Yeah camera behind you, all that. Uh, it'll, uh, you, you'll do it many, many times, but it'll be an amalgamation of of, 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 uh, of what's uh, been captured by the camera that the director will put together and it will be therefore his performance mm. based, taken out of the raw material that the actors give them. So uh, film is the director's medium yeah. and, and theatre is, uh, is for the actors. Uh, and uniting both and supreme from my point of view is always the writer, the person who wrote the script, the person who wrote the play. That's why you're doing it. It's their message, their story, and you're at their service. Mm -hmm. And uh, if if, if you mistakenly think that you're more important Mm -hmm. than the words you're speaking, then you're in problems, I think. Um, So trust is a very important thing and uh, um, almost before deciding uh, uh, that I really want to play a part uh, uh, I have to know who's directing it and are they going to be able to tell the story yeah. uh, and uh, I, I I trust Peter Jackson uh, I learned to do that very early on yeah
1: uh,
4: it, it would not be to his advantage to make me look foolish or <laughs> no, absolutely or, or
1: or act badly <laughs> <laughs> Um, So there's, I think there's an assumption for some people that for theatre actors, doing these Hollywood films is a kind of sense of one for them, and then I can go back to doing a smaller personal play. With, when you made Lord of the Rings and X-Men, was there ever a sense of that for you, or...? you—you know—is that kind of a too sort of simplistic way of looking at
4: film and Well, I, I, I've got Catholic tastes as an audience. I, I yeah. like all sorts of things. I, yeah. I, li- I like big adventure movies. Yeah. I like small um, uh, dramas. I like comedy and tragedy. I like yeah. pantomime. I like yeah. musicals in the theatre. I like Shakespeare. I like yeah. the classics. I like new stuff. Uh, it, it, it's all th- thrilling if it's well done. Yeah. Uh, so why wouldn't I want to be in all that yeah. variety of of, of, of storytelling that, that that there is available? And uh, so I've been in Coronation Street for yeah. t- ten episodes. Uh, I, I've played um, Widow Twanky, a drag part in uh, Aladdin, on two occasions. I've done a lot of Shakespeare, done new plays, and I've uh, now I've been big franchise movies and small independent ones. Mm. So it's all the same to me, yeah. because, uh, and, and what's the same about it is that it's all different. There are some people, we call them stars, who are yeah. always the same. You don't want Cary Grant to be different. You don't want Elizabeth Taylor to be different. She must always remain the same. That's t- but Ian McKellen, where's he going now? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's going having a good time yeah. and enjoying himself and discovering things. And and if if you do a variety, then yeah, you're likely to get better at the job. Yeah. And my job is to fit in wherever possible. And so I've still got a musical to do. I haven't done one yet. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: All singing, all dancing, perhaps on ice. Mm. There we go. That's your next project, <laughs> Ian McKellen, Thank you so much for your time. Lovely. You. Bye bye. Ian McKellen there in what was possibly the highlight of my life. (laughs) (laughs) It was was a pretty brilliant interview. Yeah, he he was was incredible.
3: Generous and warm. Yeah, and
1: I I think there was something really nice he said during the interview about, as you just heard, as I asked him about um, the fact that he's never written a memoir and that this Mm. film kind of is his memoir. And he said the reason for that is he wouldn't know who to write it for because there are so many different kinds of Ian McKellen fans, which is what we, we were talking about before the interview just then. You know, There's so many different, people bring so many different things to him and he gives so many different things back. And he's very generous with his fans as well, like your story about the photograph. And I remember my friend from school had, you know, um, you know these kind of like making of film books. Mm, yeah. My friend had like the, visual, the Lord of the Rings visual guide and he <laughs> bought it in once and inside he opened it up and there was a photo of him with Ian McKellen signed and everything. Wow. So I think that just shows you how like, generous he is. And I actually now have my own photo of me and Ian McKellen. Oh. to rival his. Can so. we put this on Twitter? Absolutely, I'll put oh, it on Twitter. Really? It's going to be everywhere, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to start with uh, the beginning of the documentary where he says, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, something along the lines of everyone is playing a part, it's not yourself you offer to the world, but a role. And I think this documentary has a really quite almost subtle way about talking about the nature of acting and the nature of being constantly in the public eye
2: yeah I think the the, the quote that struck me which is, is I think in, in a similar vein um, was I, I don't really have an image I'm an actor those are my edges beyond that I try to be myself mm. and I think working in the theatre and spending time with actors there is a constant battle between what is what is real and what is reality those two things are not always the same Um, and one is performance Mm. Um, and also the great and huge exhaustion of giving a false performance or not a false performance uh, a a performance of not yourself and then having to walk off stage and be yourself Mm. at the same time as shuffling off that performance and I think that's a really interesting um, idea there's a There's a speech in um, Shakespeare's As You Like It by Jayquees that famously begins All the World's a Stage and goes on to say, um, and all the men and women merely players, one man in his time plays many parts. And I think, for me, that's what McKellen is getting Mm. at there, that there is this constant push and pull between the man, the actor, the performer, the part, but also then the private, the domestic and the public. There's also
3: a neat distinction between different kinds of actors, which Mm. he himself highlights. And he says, from a star, you don't want to see them being different. When you go and see a big star, you want to see them being themselves. You want to see that sort of fake authenticity. (laughs) Uh, to have certain actors bring themselves to a role, whereas there are others who completely change from yeah. role to role. And I think McKellen is such a fascinating performer because he does both things at the same time. It is always recognizably Ian McKellen, mm. and yet each part that he has played is a different character. Mm. And that is fantastic. When he said um, he says something about how he walks differently mm. in each part, um, so many directors um, work on actors walking and characters walking. And there are directors, there's a director called Katie Mitchell, who always said that she um, she's always interested in what actors' feet are doing on stage because that tells you so much about a character. Mm. And McKellen is always an actor mm. who goes into the details in, in such a brilliant, brilliant way. So it's fascinating because his work is almost in the st- in the realm of the character actor mm. and yet he's a leading actor he's played all the all the big parts he played richard ii very very young he played hamlet uh, you know he, he's done all, all the big uh chunky roles and even in films like uh, lord of the rings or the x-men where yeah. he isn't the lead inevitably it's his character that stays with you because yeah, it's so 100%. memorable yeah um But what you were saying about the private and public sphere is also fascinating in terms of himself talking candidly about his own life and his personal uh, experience. I found the sections in the film about his childhood Mm. um, really, really interesting. And there were two things that struck me. One was when he talks about uh, his sister, who uh, is five years older, and um, he says something about how it was clear that she was in a club. And that Ian McKellen wasn't allowed to be in that club. (laughs) And I think so many actors start like that. Mm -hmm. So many actors see that there is a club somewhere Mm. and they're not part of it. How can they be part of it? How can they be in another club? And they find the space in the theatre because the theatre is particularly an environment of great community, I think, still, even these days when... The workings and the politics of theatre are so different from w- what they were mm. at the time. And I think that'll be interesting to discuss. Um, but then he also talks about his sort of split between private and public when it comes to the idea of his coming out, yeah. uh, which came quite late in life at a time when it was not a traditional, no. uh, normal thing to do. He and it was quite a stunning. He was 49. Yeah. Quite a stunning political gesture to make. Yeah. I think he was probably the first really significant public. Figure
2: and such a low key way of doing it—that yeah. phone in yeah. on the radio. Yeah, I thought that was astonishing footage, actually.
3: Yeah, and um, I think that's where you know Ian McKellen, the person, and Ian McKellen, the activist, mm. meet, mm. and that is such a great. Uh, there is such a great mission to his work today still, which yeah. is wonderful.
1: Absolutely, and yeah, this isn't quite on the same level as some of the other things he was doing. For gay rights. But I remember when I had the the X-Men video. This is how long ago we're talking now. <laughs> and um, after the film finished, so this was before DVD, so you couldn't select the making of, this would just play after the film if you happened to leave it on. And he was there in an interview talking about why he picked the role. And he spoke about, um, he spoke about it as a gay man picking Magneto. Mm-hmm. He said about, oh, the fact that the sort of the struggle of the mutants in the X Men universe spoke to him in terms of the struggle for the LGBT community, you know, trying to be accepted within the world. And even I remember thinking that's a really interesting—the fact that he's even then he's he's still committed to this kind of cause, to this this aspect of himself that he wants to promote.
3: That is fascinating. There's always this element of kind of the outsider to his yeah. performances as well, which connects with both his ideas. You know, the club that you can be into, yeah, and the club that you're not into because. You perceive yourself as different, mm. which is something he says a number of times about mm. his childhood and how he was aware that there was something, but he didn't know what it was. Uh, there was, you know, a change in his sexuality, how he was not interested in girls and possibly he would have had a different relationship with his father in particular mm. mm-hmm. had he had a girlfriend to bring yeah. home, which I thought was a really candid moment in the, in the interview.
2: It's not just his... Um performances that are about otherness, it's the parts, you know, so many of his great parts are roles in which the protagonist is outside of the world in some way or another. And I think just picking up on what Irene was talking about in terms of um, the club and the inside and the outside mm. and the, the the private and the public and in Macallan, the man or the actor, there is one, I think it can all be sort of... Um, Uh, encapsulated in one particular thing that he does on camera which is what I sort of call the McKellen wink (laughs) and he does it in almost every performance and it is a way of allowing his audience into his world Mm. and saying, come on, you're with me and I let you in I allow you to be part of this journey and it is extraordinarily generous. Now, it's sometimes generous and disturbing as in the case of Richard III or, or... yago and then sometimes it's it's gandalf yeah and there's this yeah there's a there's a there's a generosity of spirit there that i don't in any way believe is just performance
3: the the disturbing nature of Ian McKellen's characters <laughs> is has always been absolutely fascinating to me. After Richard III, I think the next film that I saw him in was Apt Pupil. That's a mm. very dark film. It's a yeah. very dark film, and it's a film that um, kind of has has picked up a number of increasingly dark associations yeah. to do with uh, its director um, and its young star, Brad mm. Renfro, who met a very untimely end. Uh, very young, I think he was 25 when he died, and he was 13 when they filmed yeah. it. He looks about 17. And uh, McKellen really does do that thing of, I'm allowing you in, but you're not going to know me mm. as much as you think. And he, he In the film, he plays this um, sort of ex-Nazi who is living undercover somewhere in America and this young boy with Nazi like tendencies, finds out that he is nearby, he finds out his real identity and tries to kind of make him become Mm. his mentor. And it's the relationship between them is so disturbing. There's really sort of elements of kind of grooming a criminal Mm. but also rejecting the self. And I always found that film really, I don't know, just kind of compelling and disturbing at the same time. Um, and it was really such a, uh, an easy step from Richard III right, yeah. <laughs> to that, uh, and so much so that when he then played Magneto, I thought, okay, that, that <laughs> figures. And yet, Magneto has got this backstory mm. that he's kind of
1: hugely tragic, yeah. hugely
3: tragic, and uh, it's it's amazing to me that it's the same actor performing those three mm. yeah. parts.
1: So I think what's incredible about the documentary and something that's really nice is that. It's all from McKellen. It's all him leading it. There's no, there's no talking heads. There's no. Um, it's not like the director Joe Stevenson had this plan about how he wanted this documentary to go. It's all. So it's, I think it was a fourteen-hour interview with Ian McKellen. He did, and then the, everything comes from what Ian McKellen says. So in a way, Ian McKellen is leading us through his life, rather than someone else leading us through his life. So it's in a way, it feels more like an autobiography than a biography. And I think that's really great to watch
3: it's also a really good feat of editing, yeah, uh, yeah. in terms of comprising that you know fourteen hour conversation into this quite compact hour and a half mm. look into the private and public sphere of this one man um I think where the documentary is most effective is where you have real footage of of McKellen back in the past and yeah. him reflecting on it and talking about it um there's a, there's a thing that he said at the end uh after the credits when it they sort of there are little snippets mm. and he says uh, that he's asked this question what would you what do you wish young Ian uh, now, knew back at the time and he says i wish he knew that he was attractive yeah. <laughs> and it's like how can you not see that <laughs> it's really amazing um, but of course, you don't know. And, you know, it's one of those things, life can only be lived forward. But mm. having the luxury of time and reflecting back on yourself yeah. must be such an amazing experience. I can see why he wouldn't want to write an autobiography after that, because yeah. it's, it's really intense as well.
2: And I agree. I think the, the, the parts of it that I enjoyed most, because you can sort of luxuriate in it, is his recollections of. Cambridge and touring, and you know, there's, there's a, the, that moment. I think there's um, there's a gang of them out, you know, in front of a building on a football pitch, and 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 um, there's a circle round um, Ian that says me, and then sitting beside him is Trevor Nunn, and then you know, and you think, oh, Corin Redgrave, gosh, yeah, Corin Redgrave, which is you know, uh, the 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 Redgrave dynasty. Um and you realise that they really were all there at the same time and then you sort of understand um to you know, to use an overused phrase, but a kind of a golden age of, of mm. British theatre in, in terms of what we think of. Um and I th- I thought those were, were particularly effective. And also realising, of course, um, that Ian McKellen spent potentially about seven or eight years of his early life looking a little bit like Laurence Olivier, <laughs> um, which is no <laughs> no bad thing. Um, I think for me, it also, yes, a feat of editing. And I think Joe Stevenson says in, in, in an interview that he just couldn't include everything, so yeah. there were some brilliant anecdotes that had to go. I also think that within those... Eleven, twelve hours that didn't make it. There are potentially some other things that I felt I wanted to hear i I, I felt were missing um and for me, there's a really interesting journey through through the film that's about grief mm. that starts with the death of his sister Jean, and then he talks about the death of his mother when he was very young, and that was very sudden um and then the death of his father before he had come to a resolution with him about who and who he was um and i think grief is a really interesting thing in the theater um and he talks about going going to the going to the funeral and then being on stage that night mm. and i think it's an element of performing that we often forget um that when we go in the evening and we've had a tough day um and he's very generous he says actors spend you know the whole day relaxing and then they they give you their best 3 hours and 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 but they do you know have other things to do during the day and he doesn't ever fully recognise, I don't think, his own, the impact of his own life. And I think that is something that is shared often by actors, that the, the stage becomes an escape. Um, and for me, I wanted I wanted the interview to go a little further
1: into A little into deeper, that. Yeah. yeah.
2: There's
3: also the great unspoken section of the film is about the death of his first boyfriend, yeah. Kurt. Uh, who died of AIDS mm-hmm. uh, in the 80s. And he does talk a little bit about how so many losses and so much death is what brought him to the idea that he needed to be public about mm-hmm. his sexuality and fight particularly against clause 28, which was the, the Thatcher era clause against promoting, an in inverted commas, homosexuality. Uh, and he's, he becomes, you know, a new person, I think, out of that. But I agree. I wish I'd heard a little bit more about the personal experience of losing the person who was his first boyfriend. And he talks about how it was really his first relationship in which he felt that he could be comfortable and in an environment in Cambridge where homosexuality was certainly tolerated, if not accepted. Uh, but in the theatre world where the rules are perhaps slightly bendier than outside of it in the 1960s, England. Um, but there, there is also something about, you know, when you say the golden age of theatre, it's, it's also something that's really interconnected with um, the way the theatre system worked at mm-hmm. the time and the way Certain performers and certain people, talent like Trevor Nunn, who is a, a legendary theatre director, really. Who is, you know, his work has has spanned from Les Mis to absolutely historic productions of all the big Shakespeare um, plays, and who <clears throat> was the artistic director of the RSC together with another group of people in the same generation for, for decades and decades, and really. Created this culture, um, and it's a system that was allowed to exist because there was funding for it, mm. because it was supported. So the the notion that Ian McKellen, the young actor who had the opportunity to come to London and participate in the uh, National Theatre Company at the Old Vic, as managed by Laurence Olivier, as he says in the film, the greatest theatre company mm. acting troupe in the world at that time, but then decides to pull out because he wants to play the big roles and he knows that he's going to get a chance to play the big roles in Leeds or in Birmingham, uh, outside of London, Um, has all to do with the rap system and the way theatre was organised at the time and the fact that he says, you know, actors were given flats to live in. If you moved to Leeds, you had the company uh, lodging to stay in. You had a wage. You could stay there and do a a repertory season in which you could really develop as a performer and be in a Chekhov play, be in a Shakespeare play, do Ibsen, do a modern play. And the repertoire was so rich that a local theatregoer would have been exposed to productions of exactly the same quality as in London or Broadway uh, and a wealth of different voices uh, in terms of playwrights and in terms of the topics of the play. And I think that's really something that's lost. And it's it's mm. lost with a generation, mm. with the, the golden age yeah. generation.
2: What isn't lost is that problem. Um, because the problem of London versus the rest of the country is still very much yeah. um, um, alive. And I think what McKellen was talking about in terms of his... Um, Changing his his voice and his accent, and stopping being a northern boy when he came to when he came to London, and uh, Derek Jacobi, and all the others who just sort of lost their accents along the way. This is still this is still a problem that we encounter in the theatre: regionality versus mm. versus London. But now we have a bigger problem, or or we are having to face up to the fallout of some very problematic decisions that come to class, language, race. Uh, gender um, Mm -hmm. and we sort of we ball it all into diversity but that's you know that's essentially what it is and the money is still in London and that's that's a that's a problem and what's really important about the story that um, McKellen tells in terms of taking this troop of actors out into the world is that it's not possible anymore and so it becomes a really important document of a particular time in theatre when a particular kind of activity could take place and we you know that's we need to hold on to that
1: absolutely yeah this is something that I had no idea about this kind of this part of the theatre world and not only is it nice to see it in a documentary but nice to hear it from Ian McKellen I want to talk a bit more about the um his sort of fight for LGBT equality in the film because that's a huge part of it bigger than I expected it to be actually because obviously I knew McKellen, the actor, but and I knew he obviously I knew he was gay and I knew he had, he was very outspoken about um, gay rights, but I didn't know it to this extent the, mm. the way he the very public way he came out and
2: yeah the fact that he sort of started Stonewall I mean not yeah. single handedly <laughs> but but um, I was uh, I was watching it thinking that again it kind of going back to where we started this this idea of the blockbuster he just sort of that was what he did next and that's what was this huge. Th- success in so many ways of of um, sitting around a table with eight other people I think mm. it was and just saying we need to you know we need to do something about this and I recognise my pow- my visual power in terms of being a name um, and what I can bring to that and again you go back to that idea of the of the generous actor yeah is what part can I perform here that is helpful and useful and will drive this forward um, and I thought that was yeah, it, extraordinary and then and then a kind of decision to self out. Mm-hmm. Again, really, really important to document those moments in time because they are thankfully now decreasing that people are are having those moments where they have to Come out yeah. or be outed, and I, you know, I think about really, really famous um, moment on on American television where, where Ellen DeGeneres mm. um, came out on the I think on the Oprah Winfrey Show. It was I think it
1: was on her sitcom.
2: Was it was it on the Ellen Show? I, th- I think so. Oh, and, then, and then she and then Oprah and then, interviewed yeah. her, and those moments where some where you kind of you actually see you sort of can physically feel and see the shift that someone has been able to and um, And to enable because of who and what they are, and that's yeah, that's that's very important.
1: And he's so eloquently spoken as well. The way he talks about it when he's on the um the chat show with the other, I think it's the was it an MP who's debating (gasps) him? Oh my gosh,
2: wasn't that an extraordinary piece of footage? Yeah,
1: and he's but he's so he's so relaxed but so fired up at the same time, and it feels really rehearsed, but it obviously isn't. But it just feels so natural for him to talk that way, and Mm. yeah.
2: But that's about, I think, I wonder whether that was also about a kind of an actally muscle memory Mm. of going, I know how to to manage this. I know physically how to hold myself without showing my frustration Mm. or my anger. And I can find the words because I have a lexicon that I can, you know, bring up immediately or borrow. And I think, yeah, that's a really extraordinary piece of footage.
3: And how wonderful that he's still... Really active in the yeah. in this arena, you know. I I had no idea that he's doing this tour of schools and talking to yeah. young kids about his experiences as a young uh, gay boy and um, against bullying and really having a very participant role in in what you know his experience can teach yeah. us, which is fantastic. Mm. And
1: he does the uh, "You shall not <laughs> pass" at every single yes. he really goes to. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> Um, there's something... So the film ends on a interesting note where, I think, so Joe asks him, what do you think about most? And he says, I think about death most. Mm. Um, which is, again, as he's been throughout the whole documentary, very candid, very open. And that's not something you think an actor is often concerned with. Like, I don't know. It just it just suddenly felt... not. it wasn't the answer I was expecting from him.
2: I remember um, when my maternal grandfather was was dying and um he had a phone conversation with my mum who is a, a, a Shakespearean professor and he said to her about dying um you're you're going to really enjoy this. It's like <laughs> it's like being in a Shakespeare play. And I was thinking about that whilst listening to, to him speaking about death and then kind of reflecting back on how many of his characters that he has played spend so much of their time thinking about yeah. death or pondering, you know, most of Hamlet, he's reflecting on the human condition and, and therefore the end of it and what might what might lie mm. um, beyond that. Um, the same with 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 Lear um, and and Macbeth, etc. Um, and so again, I wonder whether if you have this extraordinary um, art that and portfolio that supports the idea of mm. death through language and visual imagery that the theater and performance gives you that maybe thinking about death is quite an interesting thing and becomes much much less terrifying yeah there was
3: no sadness about mm. it no there was I thought yeah. uh, I thought it was really interesting i always said um when you start thinking about death a lot it means you're ready for it Right. Which uh, broke my heart, yeah. but he seemed to be so <laughs> at peace with this idea, and I wonder if that's also a little bit connected with the fact that so many actors, particularly film actors, achieve a level of immortality. You don't was, really die. There is going to be,
1: and that's probably why it shocked me so much to think of him as thinking about death. Because for yeah. Our, oh yeah, for a lot of us, actors are immortal. and we yeah. don't we don't think of them as having you know a, a start or an end of their career. Their just career goes on for us, I suppose.
3: Yeah, yeah, and, and also we can go back yeah. to, you know, reviving them and bringing them back, so they spend a lot of time dying in fiction uh, he, he dies yeah. in so many of his parts yeah. as well as thinking about death um, but... Um, there's something to do with legacy that I think is really yeah. fascinating about mm-hmm. this documentary and how he sort of does all of these activities. And he says, it's because I don't have children. If I had children, maybe things will be different. Uh, and yet I think, you know, how many children has he inspired? Uh, he inspired mm. me when I was yeah. very young, 14. And I'm sure as many kids who've watched Lord of yeah. the Rings uh, are thinking... Wow! If I can be an actor, maybe I can be an actor like that. Yeah. And I think that's that's an incredible legacy, Absolutely. and it means you leave behind a different kind of of child, you know, of yeah. your own creation and your own moulding.
1: Um, I also wanted to quickly talk about this moment at the end, where I think it's going for like footage they didn't use, and there's a bit where he's holding his phone next to his, next to his head, <laughs> and it and goes I, off, and he just gets terrified. I um,
2: I thought that should be the opening scene of. Um, Ian McKellen the musical, yeah. which he sort of touches on, um, that that is the last yeah. uh, sort of thing that he really really might want to do, or you know, and I, I just thought that would be that would be great. Um, but in that, I think is is also that lovely thing that he talks about throughout the throughout the film about um, everything he does, he does for strangers. Mm. And I was reflecting on that a little bit, thinking, well, every you know, every doctor in A and E or every bus conductor or you know to some extent everything all of us do is a presentation to strangers but what it's not is a presentation of strangeness Mm. and i think that's where the actor and the and the extraordinary um depth of this particular actor really comes into full full clarity and definition
1: Absolutely. Do we have any any uh, lasting points?
3: So Ian McKellen has never been in no, Harry Potter. No. Of all the sagas that he's been in, <laughs> uh, that's the one. And I, I didn't realise that apparently uh, when Richard Harris died after filming the first Harry Potter films, uh, Ian McKellen was asked to play Dumbledore and he turned it down. Did you know this? I didn't know this. Neither. So he talks about it very briefly at the end uh, of the film. And it's funny because... Having got to that point, I was thinking, why was he not in Harry Potter? Mm. Literally everyone's in Harry Potter. You
2: also also think that he is. That's the other thing. Yes, yes. because so many people mistake him for Michael Gamble and (laughs) ask him for autographs. But there's a man in white beard. Um, I
3: can't remember where I read this recently. It may have been something to do in connection with Fantastic Beasts. But I hear that on the set of Harry Potter in Dumbledore's uh, study is a picture of Gandalf. (laughs) <laughs> so these you can are, find it on the here film. we go the two
1: here universes are there. <laughs> colliding um,
3: he, McKellen says that one of the reasons why he turned it down was because Richard Harris didn't like him as an actor oh really uh. he said that he um, Derek Jacobi, and Kenneth Branagh are Quote, technically brilliant, but passionless. Wow. How wrong is that?
1: <laughs> oh, there we go. So on Sunday, the 27th of May, there is a live event uh, which will be broadcast into cinemas along with the film. It is a and a with Ian McKellen hosted by Graham Norton. So do check that out if you are a big fan of Ian McKellen, as we all are. If you feel like staying at home this weekend uh, on Curzon Home Cinema, we have Redoutable. Redoutable je ne sais pas which is um, Michael Hazanavicious' <laughs> s- meta-pseudo-biopic of Jean-Luc Godard. Um, that is out in cinemas and on Cousin Home Cinema and also on Cousin Home Cinema we still have Andrew Haig's Lean on Pete which we discussed uh, last on last week's show and it's an incredible film so do check that out and Molly's Game as well is coming on Cousin Home Cinema which was Aaron Sorkin's directorial debut uh, we never spoke about it on the show, but I actually really enjoyed it. Um, and as ever, if you've got any thoughts on uh, McKellen playing the part or Lean on Pete or any film we talk about on the podcast, do let us know by emailing podcast at curzon.com for next week's show. And if you like the show, subscribe, leave a comment and a review. Uh, we're available on iTunes and Acast. And that is it for this week's show. Thank you, Ron Rutter, for making your pod debut.
2: Absolute pleasure. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you, Irena, as always. Thank you very much. And goodbye from me. See you next week.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.